Blog Talk Radio. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the uh, Wednesday edition of Sin's Chat Corner. Today's show is a long time in coming, actually. This guest and I were scheduled to be doing our interview in March, as a matter of fact, because as most of you may or may not know, the actual month of March is considered to be, um, well, it's actually the World Bipolar Day. It's March 30th, if I'm not mistaken. So Justin, at that point in time, was a perfect guest. Not that he's not today, obviously, but he was a perfect guest because, of course, we were speaking about mental health. And, of course, if you have read his book, Bulletproof, or done any research on Justin Peck, you already know that he has been a long-time sufferer of mental health, as have I. So clearly, of course, when somebody comes on and talks about um, their life experiences as it relates to mental health, I'm always on board for that. A couple quick reminders for everybody. I'm going to try to sound like myself. Clearly, um, at least from what I can tell on this side, I'm not feeling the greatest. I'm sure you guys have followed this on social media that I've been sick for the last, well, I got home from New York Wednesday, or excuse me, Monday, later day, and it's just been exhaustion from, you know, obviously the festival, I had a whole whopping four hours of sleep, and then, of course, I've just been trying to play catch-up, plus the weather in Wisconsin is about, oh, I don't know, 37 this morning, if that, and then, of course, it was like 67 in New York, so when you do a 30-degree change, clearly, you're going to come home with a runny nose, you're going to feel like crap, and, well, here I am right now. As you know, if you're watching social media, I was just talking about maybe having wine, which would be good for you at this point in time. Just kidding. I have a show to do. So, a couple quick reminders. Excuse me. As you can see, case in point, um, a few quick reminders to everybody. If you happen to be listening in and you either attended my film festival or are a filmmaker for my film festival, please check your email. I've been trying to diligently stay on top of my job here as I sit on my couch, literally doing my show from the couch. But I've sent some notices in reference to awards, shows, the calendar, updates, etc. I'm going for the pictures today so we can go ahead and check out everything and get those posted up. So please do check it out. And again, one more huge thank you, and I'll do a public thank you online to everybody that participated, helped, assisted, attended, was just literally that uh, sent in uh, notices, etc. It was an amazing festival. I'm very proud of the work that we did. I'm very proud of the uh, funds that we secured, and hopefully if they can talk me into it, I'll do it again next year. As it relates to uh, show tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, let me just double check so I get his name right. I believe it's Stephen, but I don't want to be a complete jerk about this. Dr. Alvarez is going to be coming on our show tomorrow, and um, Dr. Alvarez does a number of different things. He specializes in dentistry, first of all. And what's nice about Dr. Alvarez is very recently, first of all, his publicist is PJ, or excuse me, MJ. God, I need to get some serious rest. MJ Pedone. If any of you do not know her, you should know her. She's with Indra Public Relations. She has some of the most phenomenal clients, Man in the Red Bandana, which is one of the shows, or I should say films, that I just showcased at my film festival. That was her client. The Maddie Salon, in which case I got my makeover and did uh, my work there in terms of getting beautied up for the Q&A for the deli. That's one of her clients, Dr. Alvarez, coming in tomorrow. In fact, I have two of MJ's clients to finish off my week. Isn't that awesome? One on Thursday, one on Friday. Dr. Alvarez is going to be coming on tomorrow at 3.30 Central Standard Time. And what's exciting about him is that he does plastic surgery and he also does orthodontic services. So one of the cool things he did not so long ago was to offer just a free dental day where anybody who came in either didn't have insurance, couldn't afford to get it, did something gravity, obviously not anything serious, like major procedures, but 
He was willing and able to give of his time so that other people could get dental work. How absolutely phenomenal is that? That's amazing. So I'm thrilled to be hosting him tomorrow. I want to talk about some of the new and innovative procedures that are coming out from a dental perspective, most likely because I'm selfish because my kiddo is getting braces very soon, actually next month. So I want to find out what the latest and greatest is. We all obviously could use the work in that direction. So I'm like, okay. So I'm excited to have him on the show, obviously. And then I want to remind everybody two more things. Um, Now that the film festival is over with, we can focus on some of the other stuff, which is my calendar is coming out before the end of the year. Yes, that's right. I just finished one major production. Now I have to finally finish the other major production, which is, of course, the calendar. And the calendar supports all of our different independent films and those that help to support independent films. Very proud, very excited about this project, but I'm doing it in a hell of a hurry. I'm not going to lie. So that'll be available in time for Christmas. Obviously, we're already selling my son's comic book, Sergeant Seizure and the Evil Dr. Cuckoo. If you haven't bought a copy, you should go buy a copy, like yesterday. Thank you very much. So that's on Facebook. If you go to the page, you'll find the website. Go ahead and order your copy for Christmas. Calendar will be available at the beginning of December. We've got 12, excuse me, 15 different independent filmmakers, location shoots, etc. Very excited about both. So don't forget that. And don't forget my show tomorrow as well, 3.30 Central Standard Time with Dr. Alvarez. So without further ado, I think our guest is finally joining us, which I'm so excited about. So let's see if we can get him on the line and start talking. Is this Justin? This is Justin. Oh, my God, you are alive and you exist. (laughs) I've been so worried about you, and I've never even talked to you. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) We have tried to get this interview done. I swear to God, either you're, like, the most famous person in the world, or I don't know what it is, but I'm like, oh, my gosh. And last I heard, you were not feeling well. So, first off, let's start off with the obvious. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing a little bit better now. I had, uh, last Saturday, I had pretty good crash i um ended up with with a great with a grade three concussion i bruised my both my kidneys my liver and i bruised my heart and then i broke two two ribs above my heart and and then ruptured my spleen so oh my god other than that i'm doing great Oh, my word. Just listen to that array of... I feel guilty that you're even talking to me right now. Oh, my God, that's horrible. No, no, no. It's not not horrible at all. If if there was a way for me to to send you the video, it was like... It's it's one of those proud papa moments, right? Like, that's what... Yeah, I get it. We we race... You know the the sport that I chose is the most dangerous sport, like dangerous motorsport that you can get into, and mm. I know I know the risks, and I've been doing it for a long time, and so it just so happens that it was my turn. So, and here you are, Dad. Well, thank God you're here at least, and thank God you're not in the hospital somewhere, and you're not doing even worse than you are right now. So thank you for taking the time to come here and speak to me, obviously. There's a lot of important no, of things to talk about, um, definitely. I want to start off because it, there, there's tons of things about you that people probably don't know um, because clearly just because you write a book doesn't mean that you're just an author or you're just a race car driver or you're just anything for that matter, obviously. First of all, I love your name because exactly. I have a son with the name Justin, so I'm very impressed with that. Perfect. You get kudos for that bonus point right there. Um, Perfect. You have been, 
you, I have heard that um, you are an adrenaline junkie. So clearly it makes sense to me that why you do the race car driving, but I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, is this something that was apparent to you from little on and kind of grew in nature as you grew older, or is it something that you use to kind of combat against some of the things in your life that you struggle with? Well, to uh, to give you a little bit of an idea, I was growing up, I was always the kid that, you know, would be in a group of, you know, five or six of my friends, and uh, it, like just a quick story, we were at a place oh. called Lake Powell, so it's um, it, it, just a big lake, um, pretty famous around this, you know, area, and um, we had climbed up to the cliff that people wanted to jump off of, but they just never did, and so, you know, we were... I think we were 11 or 12 years old, and, you know, we got to the top, and the scoutmasters, because this was like a like a scoutmaster type thing, so the scoutmasters mm-hmm. were yelling at us, don't jump from there. Like, you guys can come down 50 feet and jump, but don't jump from there. So all the kids were, you know, kind of teasing and saying, yeah, you know what, you do it, and you do it, and you do it. No one said do it. And then they look back at me and they go, Justin will do it. And I didn't even look, and I just jumped off the cliff, right? And oh, my so, God. And so they, of course, the scoutmasters, they were pissed, right? They were like, what in the hell? Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to figure out how far I jumped. And they took a ski rope and had another kid climb to the top and hang the ski rope off and the scoutmaster was like let it all out and the kid says it is all the way out so they in anyway they figured out that I had jumped it was 130 feet and um, I've done the math over that period of time and I hit the water at like 87 miles an hour and mm-hmm. I I did break a couple ribs there, um, but I, I was always that kid that, like, I don't, even now, I don't assess risk very well. Like, like mm-hmm. consequence, the consequence to me is just a word. It doesn't, it doesn't really mean anything. And so I've, you know, I've always been, I've always been an adrenaline guy. The urge has been inside of you and growing, I take it. Well, clearly, obviously, because I've seen the way that your career has gone, so that makes sense to me, obviously. Um, one of the things that we talked about before when it comes to you is, well, you've done a lot of really cool things. But the first thing I want to start with the basic stuff is you have a few tattoos on you. I noticed that the very first time I looked at you, and I've been trying to man up and get tattoos for God's age. And oftentimes when I interview people, they tell me there's a story behind the tattoos, obviously. So I was curious to ask uh-huh. you if... Uh, does your visual art tell the tale of your life in some way? Oh yeah, oh yeah, hands down. I um w- when I first started, so at the age of eighteen, I wanted a tattoo, and so oh. I go into the shop, and they were like, "All right, like we can do this, this, and this," um, but they were a couple weeks out, and I didn't want to wait, and so right. I just I kind of blew it off, and so at the age of nineteen. 
comes around, I want a tattoo. And so I go in and I realize that what I wanted at 18 was different than what I wanted at 19. And so being that, you know, trying to put some common sense, because I don't, common sense really isn't common for me. <laughs> so, so, I, uh, so I waited until I was 21 and uh, went in and here again realized I didn't want the same tattoo um, that I wanted when I was 19. <clears throat> and so I waited until I was 40. And um, I had been thinking about one, you know, when I was like 38, still wanted the same one, 39, still wanted the same one at, at 40. <clears throat> and so I decided that this was like, this was it. This was what I wanted. And so on March, um, March 11th, I went into the guy, made the appointment, and said, this is what I want. And in 365 days, right, and like this tattoo shop, they said that they've never seen anybody do this before. But um, in 365 days, I ended up getting both sleeves done and my entire back. I did it. I did. I did my entire tattoo in one year. Oh my God! Ouch! Yeah, it, yeah. That it was like two hundred. It was like two hundred and seventy hours. It was crazy. So oh my God! I just, I just wanted it done, and I, I actually kind of like I liked, liked the way that it felt. Um, there were a couple areas that that stung a little bit here and there, but, but, sure. uh, but to answer your question, yes, it's it's basically. It basically is kind of the the story in my life. I mean, having bipolar and having, you know, right. the some of the some of the things that I've done through. I'm like, you know, I've broken over eighty bones. I've had nineteen surgeries. I've got twelve plates, nine rods, two hundred screws. I've got cadaver parts. I've died twice. I mean, that just in and of itself has a story behind it, and so. And so I tattooed, a, a, you know, a bunch of of metal and and like where I have have the plates, they're all tattooed in. But my back mm-hmm. is is more of a story of kind of like my life. So I've got um, a, a, a girl that's tattooed on the back, and it's no one in specific oh. other than other than it's my guardian angel. So I've always mm-hmm. I've always had to grow up with someone watching my back. And no one ever really did, and so I tattooed someone there that always watches my back. So, and then you know I've got I've got something, I've got a clock there, I've got a compass there, you know time, time you know we always run out of, um, right. distance you know is all based on our path and 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 where we choose to be in life, and so yeah, I mean there's there's some hooky things in there, but. They mean something to me, so. That's very cool. I like that. 
So good. Any suggestions for this little lady here? I, I want to get two when I need shoulder, and I keep saying every year I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I have this huge fear of needles. And just when I get ready to go, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get it done, and then I kind of back away, and I'm like, okay. So every time somebody comes on that's tatted up, I'm like, okay, you got any suggestions here? Because, of course, I can't get drunk. And <laughs> that would have been like the way yeah. to go, like, okay, if I just drink – I won't even realize that they're doing this, but uh, uh, you obviously can't do that. So I'm just, I'm, I guess I'm looking for someone to tell me, oh, it's going to be fine and it's not going to hurt, even though that's bullshit because it is going to hurt, isn't it? No, honestly, honestly, like, okay, so personal question. Do you have any children? I have four children. Okay. Then your tattoo <laughs> is going to be a cakewalk, right? Ah, <laughs> it's, Okay. It, it's gonna be it's gonna be just a walk in the park. It's they oh. they really they honestly don't hurt like they think like people think that they hurt. They only go down okay. just a couple layers of skin, and so so honestly, like when you first start, you'll feel a little pinch uh-huh. here and there, but for the most part, it just it doesn't really hurt. It it feels like someone's kind of like scratching your skin. So sure. if it if it was me that. if it was me, tear it up, sister. It's all you. It's all you. <laughs> I, I'm working Go on it. it. I definitely am. Yeah. And and it has yeah. it it should have meaning and it does. And I have children, so I was like, okay. So that's one of my goals before the end of the year. So we'll work on that as far as that goes. Now I have to ask you because of course I I follow you on Instagram, so of course I've seen all these radiant photos, and one of the most beautiful ones that I saw was your child, Savannah who um, has been married, actually, has it been a year yet? Because when I saw this, I think it was 2016. So I meant to ask about that. You have a beautiful child, absolutely beautiful child. Um, and you're a very proud father. That kind of goes without saying. I, I have no hesitancy yeah. to say that based on what I've read. So tell us a little bit about how um, how does she deal with your need for, um, well, your need to be you. I mean, sometimes us as parents, we make choices and obviously, our children are probably sitting there and thinking, "Oh my God, what is what is he doing? Worrying, getting scared, etc." Does she ever get phased by some of this, um, well, some of this stuff that you need to do for you? Yeah. So, so you're talking about my daughter, right? Yeah. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So my my children. So my my oldest is 26. My youngest is 12. Mm-hmm. And then gotcha, I have four right. grandbabies. Then I have four grandbabies on top of that. So. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. You're not it, that old. You were so not that old. I know. I know. Tell me about it. I know. I just I oh I started God. really early. Was married at 17. Had a baby at 18. And. and oh my. You know we just Here we just kind of you know we just kind of okay. did our thing so. But no, my uh, my children know know that their dad is a goofball. They all know that, right? Like every okay. like everybody's dad, everybody's dad, everybody's dad's a goofball. But um, but for the most part, my kids also know that without racing and without me having the ability to put on a helmet because my helmet is my medication. Um, without me being able to do that, I'm pretty much worthless. I, um, gotcha. I, the, the, the bipolar kicks in, um, and sure. you know, I'll spend, I'll spend three or four months in bed because I don't, it, it, you know, if I don't have anything to look forward to, then why get up, right? 
Right. I understand. I do. Totally I do, as a matter of fact. But obviously I'm a mom, too, so clearly I know what that's like because my, my kids come to me sometimes. They're like, no, Mom, you shouldn't do this or this or this. But you really, truly have a beautiful family, actually. I've seen that, and I've seen the pictures, and I've seen how you interact with them, and it's clear that that's definitely one of the best parts of you is just looking at that. I find that very impressive. So kudos to you on that one. I, I think that having a family that you love and adore and you being good with them and them being good with you is always very important. So that's a definite bonus point for my guest today. I think it is so cool that you have gone somewhere that I have never gone before because I, of course, am in the entertainment industry, and you've gone to Sundance, and I have yet to get there, and I'm so jealous. So you totally have to ask me, <laughs> tell me what that experience was like. Dude, that is so cool. Sundance Film yeah. Festival. Tell everybody why you were there, and then tell everybody what that experience is like, because most of us have yet to get there. So, so Sundance. I mean, I live in Utah, right? So, right. So Sundance literally is like forty-five minutes away from my house. So, and I just, I just never went because I, I, I have, I have a little bit of a social disorder. I have a hard time. Um, being in groups of people, it just gives me anxiety, and so I, so I, you know, I choose to to not really put myself in that position. But, but gotcha. Sundance was incredible. Sundance was fun. It was, you know, I got to meet a lot of people, and and I think what probably made it funner for me was that a lot of people knew who I was, and uh-huh. and so they'd come up, they'd come up, and they go, "Oh, you're like." You're that guy. You're that truck guy. You're like you're Justin, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's me. And so, um, so it was, it was fun. I mean, you know, for I was there. Um, I was invited. So, so my book was released on January first, and Sundance right. was like, you know, kind of like the end of January or something. And so um, they had they had one of the documentary guys. Um, that did a documentary on on bipolar disorder and mental health, and he called just kind of random out of the blue and said, "Hey, look, we would really, really, really like you to speak in front of you know this this group of people that are going that's going to watch this this documentary." And mm-hmm. then then after the documentary you know, we can, you know, maybe we do, you know, a little bit of question and answer type, type thing. And, and so I got up and, and spoke about my book and, you know, it's, it's, it's always, it's a little harder to talk about the book than what people understand because, you know, having, having the disorder, being blessed with the disorder, um, anytime that I tell the stories, I relive those stories. And so, right. Right. you know, I was I was on stage, and I, you know, I, I, I got to speak in front of you know a couple hundred people, and and then they showed the documentary, and mm-hmm. then then they did the Q and A after, and you know, honestly, I was just I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm just I'm just gonna kind of stand off to the side because the documentary wasn't mine, and. You know, I just, I, you know, I want to give all, you know, I want to give all the, the kudos and the credit to the guy who, who put the time mm-hmm. in the documentary, and um, <laughs> the funny part of, about it is, out of the twenty questions that they let everybody have, um, mm-hmm. eighteen of them were, 
18 of them were to me and oh my God. like two of them and like two of them were to the to the guy who did the documentary i actually had to start like including him into the questions because i i was feeling bad and and mostly it's you know people it's interesting because people right now in society you either have some form of of mental illness or you mm-hmm. know someone who does and right. that that's like a 100% fact like there's no everybody knows someone who is a little goofy or that person is a little goofy themselves and so yeah. you know i had a lot of questions from spouses you know how you know as as being a spouse how do how do I relate to my husband when he's when he's on a manic phase or you know things like that and right. so it it was nice to be able to kind of convey my message just a little bit by no means am I a doctor um I just you know I, I, my life is a big story and and so it I like is. to tell stories I don't blame you whatsoever. And that's such a cool experience, too, because obviously, of course, I'm of the firm belief, and we'll get into that in a little while, actually. I'll save that question, actually. One of the other things that I noticed that you did that I found very powerful is um, you had, at at some point, um, I noticed that you had spoken with Senator Peter uh, Knudsen. And what's important about that is, is that I think oftentimes it's important for those of us who are mental health patients to be spending time speaking to people in offices such as that because sometimes they're in more of an influential um, area to be able to help people or to effectuate change in terms of how people are treated in terms of their medical condition. Um, Can you tell the folks a little bit why you met him and what the purpose of that was? Honestly, it's the... Where where it comes from, and it's you know, and I'll I'll live by the sword and die by the sword. I am all about bringing awareness to mental health. Um, the uh, the crazy thing about mental health is, um, so for example, if you get a cold or you get the flu, the people around you can see that you have a cold or a flu. Or they can see that right. you have diabetes, or they can see that you have cancer, right? So, so, so it's it's a very visible, in your face. Okay, this guy doesn't feel well. Mental health, on the other hand, it's like this little phantom, right? No one, mm-hmm. like you can say you can say that you're bipolar, but but okay. after a couple of days, people just blow it off and they don't, you know, they don't remember or or whatever, right. and. So, so at the end of the day, you know, I live with it every day. I I struggle putting my feet on the ground every single day, and mm-hmm. I am like I am very very adamant on just bringing awareness and getting rid of the stigma that I am like I am not different than anybody else. My my pants go on the same way. My shoes tie mm-hmm. up the same way. My shirt goes on the same way, just as every, just as everybody else. Just right. because my brain functions and does things a little different doesn't make me weird. It doesn't make me any less of a person than anybody else. And so right. that was that was kind of the that was kind of the uh, the basis of the of the conversation is is 
you know, it's like, hey, you know, politician, okay, you have your life and you are 100% politics and you can't see anything else but politics. And so what I want you to do is to kind of think outside of it and understand it from my point of view. And right. if I can do that and if, and if I can share that, then then maybe, you know, maybe it might strike a chord with somebody and have them go, yeah, you know what, my brother-in-law actually has bipolar disorder and he goes, he goes off the radar for months at a time and we don't know where he's at. And maybe this needs to be looked at a little bit more or maybe it needs to be researched a little bit more. I mean, honestly, my biggest goal right now in life, um, other than my family, so family and racing to me are my, are my, those are my things. Those are my jam. I mean, that's what that's what I'm all about. I drive a race car, and I love and I love my family. But Aww. my legacy that that I want to build is I want to be known as that guy that changed the perception of what mental health actually is. If you think about 20 years ago, mm-hmm. the, classific- the classification of mental health means that you would have needed to be packed into a four-by-four four room that's padded and right. because they were afraid that you were going to hurt yourself. And right. it's just, it's not that way. The stigma is not that way. And I just, I for me, I want to build that legacy, and I want to be the guy that brings it into the forefront and let people understand and realize that, hey, you know what? We're just as normal as everybody else. We just mm-hmm. have, we just have quirks. Like it's just what it is. I agree. I, I do actually. As a matter of fact, when um, when the person who approached me about interviewing you and she first spoke to me, she had no idea that I have been bipolar for about 30 years now. My diagnosis Good for when you. I was younger. Well, I'm 48 now, and so I was diagnosed at 17, so it's been about 30 years. And, you know, one of the things that intrigued me wasn't to interview you just because of the fact that you have the same condition I do, but more so because of the fact that um, your experiences hopefully are going to be a little bit different than mine, for instance, which we'll get into. I, I think one of the biggest things that I wanted to start off by asking you about this was you had said a quote once which said, I've gotten pretty damn good at hiding when I need to. And that's funny because yep. I'm infamous for doing that all the time. And I think, I, I guess my question to you is, why do you feel it necessary to have to hide in the first place? Well, at, at, so growing up, when I was young, um, so I was diagnosed at, Oh jeez, I don't even remember. It was like thirteen. I do twenty six. Fifteen. According or to the research, like it, it says diagnosed bipolar at age twenty six. But that's just what the yes. data says. So that could be wrong. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it. Uh, so it was. It was a while. Actually, you know what? Okay. You're like. You're. You're right. I think it was. It was later in life. And okay. The 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 reason why. I got really good at faking it, right? Like I was always good mm-hmm. at 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 faking the disorder is because I didn't want to be different than my other classmates. I didn't want to be that kid that 
was always picked on and always bullied because I was different. Well, it mm-hmm. didn't necessarily turn out that way. I mean, I was I was always bullied in school and and you know, I was picked on. I was you know, I was the small kid in school and I was the weird kid in school and I I was always, you know, I it was always hard for me to convey my my thoughts and the feelings that I had at that age to my other friends because they just didn't right. get it. And sure. so I got really, really, really good at hiding the disorder. And so as time went on, you start at a certain point and then it becomes habit. And it the habit lasted a long time. And so, you know, it took it took kind of a an eye opening experience for me to realize, okay, you don't need to hide it anymore because if you keep hiding it, you're gonna die. And and so I you know, we went and went and talked to the doctor and you know, kind of he he explained a little bit about you know, about it to me and and mm-hmm. it you know, I went through about ten years of still still faking it, still hiding it, and then mm-hmm. something then something just kind of clicked and said, "You know what? like I don't care what people think of me, like, I really don't mm-hmm. you know whatever their perception of me is 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 what it is. If they don't like right. me for who I am, you know what there's probably five other people who will like me." Because I, you know, I, and for the most part, I'm a, you know, I'm a pretty nice guy. I mean, I'm genuine and, and I'm brutally honest. And so, Mm. and so, you know, the, the hiding part of it started from habit and then, um, kind of kept on with the habit until I just finally reached a point of understanding that it took so much effort and so much like energy out of my day-to-day life just to fake what I am and who I am. And so I just said, you know, kind of screw it. I'm going to I'm going to be who I am. And if I lose friends, I, I lose love friends. That. And 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 honestly, I lost friends. I lost people that were very dear to me and <clears throat> they've all come back around, you know, it's mm-hmm. It, it it's funny how people come back around when when you know you start driving race cars and you're doing fast and like right. like you're 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 starting to win and and then you know I see you wrote a book and you're a business owner and mm-hmm. and, and 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 people come back for for motives instead of just being genuine but um you right. know for me I try to look you know I look past that part you know it's it's who they are, and if they want to judge me, they can judge me. It, it, it doesn't make any difference to me. That's awesome. Absolutely, that's the first thing I wanted to cover because I, I know what that's like, especially with working in entertainment. You kind of have to, you're almost forced to kind of go into that bubble and be a little someone that you're not. And we're going to address that, obviously. Now, with both of yeah. us having the same diagnosis, clearly um, all of us take our different paths. I think in terms of figuring out how to adjust to 
how we're doing and how we deal with it. And, and, you know, obviously the first time you hear this, it takes some adjusting and we all kind of find our own coping methods. And sadly, some of us have gone down the same route. For you, I know that you've uh, attempted to end your life. And obviously I have attempted, well, not obviously to most, but people that know me, I've survived two attempts in the past. So this is a very serious issue. And I think that oftentimes it almost gets swiped under the carpet I have a big trigger point with this. My feeling is bipolar sits very secondary to things like depression, anxiety, because that's the big, as I call it, it's a big disorder in town. Everybody knows what depression is. Everybody knows what anxiety is. When you talk about bipolar, there are people that I think don't have a clue of what that word means. So I guess my yeah. question to you is relative to this, if you're comfortable with talking about it, um, we never want to see someone get to this to the to the point, obviously, where they're putting their lives in peril and actually wanting to end their life. So tell us what kind of drew you to get to that point, and then what was kind of your saving grace, or, or how was it that you managed to survive that? And thank God you did, by the way. So it was, um, it was, it was an interesting day for me. I had, and I, and I classified as a day because it was just, it was more of just, a normal day to me when I woke up in the morning I didn't I didn't have anything planned other than just you know go to work you know I was a business owner and so I was you know a a construction guy and so I'd check on job sites and you know I had a bunch of employees and stuff and so so you know I woke up I woke up early in the morning like I like I typically did and I leaned over and kissed my wife um at the time Mm -hmm. and and went in and showered and, you know, put my boots on and went upstairs and, and kissed my kids and, you know, told them all that I mm-hmm. love them and sure. and went out back and grabbed my dog. And this is just like, this is normal day-to-day activity. Grabbed my dog and threw her in the back of the truck and away we went. And mm-hmm. I went and, and checked on a couple job sites and, you know, everything was going good and, it was like it was kind of a realization to me that I had been just kind of I'd just been down for like six months. I things weren't feeling right. Things always felt like it was you know, it it's not that I was being a victim by no means, but mm-hmm. it's just that I was just I didn't feel like myself and things always seemed harder than they should have been and so I mm-hmm. uh, I had a um, a place that me and my dog would always go. That was at it was the top of the canyon, and it was kind of a way to unplug. And this was back when, when you know, cell service like it's not very good now, but it really sucked back then. So, so I was at the top of the, the top of the canyon, and I'd let my dog out of the truck, and she was running around. And I had my music playing in the background, and and I remember just watching my dog run around and just her joy of being free and being just no care in the world and, you know, chasing whatever she was chasing and just having a mm-hmm. good time. And, and mm-hmm. I remember, and I remember thinking to myself, man, what I would give to just feel that, what I would give to just fill her joy and her her exuberance for life. I mean it was it was amazing to me and so 
I sat there, and the more that I watched her, the more despair, like, started drowning me. And I um, I picked up a, a notepad that I had sitting there and kind of just started writing down notes. And it wasn't, it wasn't suicide note type stuff. It was just, it was notes to my kids of basically saying, Look, I you know I wish I was a better daddy. Um, I I wish I wish I could have taught you better. Um, you know, notes to my mom of saying you know I wish I was a better son. I wish I you know mm-hmm. would have spent more more time with you and and you know I did that to my wife and then um, and then another really really good friend of mine and I. Just like I sat there, and this cloud just it consumed me, and it was just despair i mean that's it's about the best word that I can describe it is just despair sure. and and so, in just one brief moment of irrational thinking, I reached over and grabbed my pistol out of my center center console, and I loaded it. And I put it to my head and I pulled the trigger. And all I got out of the whole deal was a click. Like it just, it made this this loud click and it wasn't anything that I expected. And Mm -hmm. so I sat there and I unchambered the bullet thinking, all right, how could you have screwed this one up? I mean, give me a break, right? I've shot Mm -hmm. thousands of rounds through this, through this pistol and how could I have screwed this one up? And so I unchambered the bullet. The bullet landed in my lap, and I picked it up. And I looked at it and kind of examined it a little bit, and I could see where the firing pin had actually hit where it was supposed to. And out of thousands of rounds that I've shot out of that pistol, the one dud, the one the one bullet that just decided not to go off was the one that would have that should have ended my life. And it was at that moment that kind of defined a lot of things for me. And it it changed kind of who I was. And so, you know, of course when that happens, there's a lot of adrenaline that comes through it, and it was, it maybe like it might sound a little demented, but it when that happened, and when I pulled the trigger, and the adrenaline pushed through, I actually felt better. Like it, hmm. like I felt, I felt this, like want for life now, and I felt just, it felt incredible. And and so and then the emotion hits, right? <laughs> and then oh, and then now the reality. And, and then that yeah, then then reality kicks in. Now you're sitting at the top of the canyon sobbing, looking at this at this bullet that should have you know, you should have been dead and and so I loaded the dog up pretty quick and started driving down the canyon because I could feel the reality starting to come back in. And that's when I called my doctor and said, hey, you know, this is kind of what I've just done. Um, I need help, man. Like, 
like I need I need some advice, I need something. And so, you know, being who he who he is, um, he's a, he's a really good friend of mine. I mean, he's he's delivered all my children. He's been my doctor for for a long time, and he basically he he canceled his day, and I sat down with him and talked to him, and we filled out a bunch of forms, and and he asked me a bunch of questions, and at the at the end of it, he says, you know. He goes, you know, bipolar is kind of one of those hard things to diagnose. But Mm -hmm. from what the paper says and from what your answers are, this is what's going on with you. You've got really high manic and you've got really, really low depression. And so, you know, then we start on the gamut of medication just like everybody does, right? Right. You start on... Like every single pill that, like I think I actually, I think I actually supported Big Pharma, and paid a lot of Big Pharma bills for a very very long time, because like I was I tried I tried everything, from depression medication from just everything and it it took it took a couple years for me to kind of kind of get the idea of what works, what doesn't work, and what really doesn't sure. work. And, and you know, so now, I mean, my medication changes. Um, my body acclimates to, the, you know, to the medication quite easily. And so, you know, I'll go for, you know, six months to a year on on taking certain things. And then, you know, that mood stabilizer stops working. And, then I get a little goofy and the people who love me and, you know, mm. my tribe, my, my, my close tribe of people, they, right. you know, they'll come and they'll say, all right, dad, like you're acting a little, little different than you have been, you know, for a while. And, and so I'll go get medication changed and fixed. And, and, you know, for me, that's, that's just, that's how I deal with it. Well, that brings up another question, obviously, because of course I know that I've been told this, and I'm, a guess, I'm I'm guessing you've been told the same thing. Meaning that most of us in this particular uh, situation who have been diagnosed bipolar or go under treatment for bipolar, I've been told that there's a classic three ways to treat this, which is you can't skip by doing one; you have to do all three. Which is you need to have yes. some form of support, whether it's your actual family or someone you consider family, etc. Usage of medication and, of course, long-term psychiatric therapy. Did you subscribe to that belief? Have you, have you utilized that mantra in terms of methodology for treating your disorder, meaning using all three? Because I know myself, I'm currently not medicated. Um, back into therapy now, I've, I've kind of done the ebb and flow. Go in, go out. Meds on, meds off, that sort of good stuff. And the self-medicating, which we'll get to, of course. But I'm just curious. Do you utilize those top three things that they subscribe to for better health? Nope, not even close. Ah. <laughs> not even close. I tried. Gotcha. Like I tried. I, like you know, sure. I tried. Don't get me. You know, don't get me wrong. I do know, right. and I and and I and I and I've read about that. That you know, there are, there are certain things that that as as being blessed with bipolar that you know you're supposed to follow mm. and you're supposed to right. you know do this and do this and do this. Um, you know, where I'm at now, I've been, you know, I'm, I'm a single man, right? So, 
So I've been, you know, I live by myself. I've been, right. you know, I've, I've been alone for like going on eight years now. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when I come home, I don't have that tribe of people. I have me. Right. And, right. and so, you know, I, when I'm at the racetrack, I have my tribe of people and, but that's only for, you know, a weekend or, you know, it, it, it's only for a couple of days. And so, <laughs> you know, and, and when, it, when I'm home, I'm not very social. And so I don't, you know, I don't club, I don't drink, I don't, like, I don't do any of those things. And so, mm-hmm. so I know that, I know that it's, it's good that, I know that I that I should be engaging myself in in having like conversations with people and 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 being part of you know some type of social aspect, but sure. I just I choose I choose not to now on the medication. I'm your like typical stereotypical bipolar guy. I will take ah. my meds until I until I feel like I'm doing all right, and then I'll stop my mm-hmm. meds. And right. I, I and, and then I just because I'm feeling all right, and right. and I hate taking and I hate taking pills. Like I hate of course I hate taking them. And so and so I'll go for you know I'll go for a while and and just think to myself, all right, I'm doing okay now. So. Sure. Maybe maybe I beat it, and I stop taking them, and then it's usually you know a couple months down the road, people are like, hey man, like, are you doing okay? Are you sure you're doing okay? <laughs> and then, you know, by that time I'm already you know, either in a manic phase that is uncontrollable by anybody, or I'm stuck in my 13 by 13 foot room laying in bed watching TV for three months at a time. And, and so, you know, for me, that's just, for me, that's life. And, 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 and I'm used to that. And so, you know, I've kind of, I've kind of acclimated to, to those different, um, different ways of, of coping and, and you know when when people that I love and care about when they start seeing that I'm kind of going off the deep end, that's when they'll when they'll come back and say, "Hey, look, you know, you, you need some help." Um, and then on the therapy end, um, you know, not meaning to be arrogant by no means. I I promise I'm a really humble man, but <laughs> but but therapy to me is really, really, really hard because a lot of the times I go into a therapy session and it's like I know more than they do. And I get that, though. It's, it's like, come on, man. Like, you read about bipolar disorder in a book and you don't know and you're what living it's like. It. Exactly. Yeah, I'm living it. I live it every day. And right. For you to tell me this is what I should do because that's what Chapter Three said in the book of bipolar disorder, it, like that's not right. Like it, 
it's not right. And so I like I've kind of given up on the therapy end, um, but okay. I've kind of, but I've kind of reversed the roles on that. Of instead of me going to therapy, I try to mm-hmm. be therapy for other people. Ah, um, and it's and it's mo and and it's mostly because, in my opinion, and it's just always the way that I've lived my life, is the best place that you can be ever is being in the service of other people. And when and through my experiences and through a lot of the ups and downs that I that I've had, you know, I've been blessed with with the disorder. You know, I don't call it a mental illness. It's a mental blessing. I I'm I'm very for, I'm very fortunate to have what I have because of the experiences and the things that I've experienced when someone else experiences that I can relate to them. And I can say, hey, look, you know what? I'm not a doctor by no means, but when I was at this place that you're at now, this is what I did. And now it's not coming from chapter three in the bipolar book. It's coming from a guy Mm -hmm. who actually has lived with it for years and years and years, multiple years, tens tens of years. Nice. Well, and and I would have to concur. I, I think it's very difficult because I know that people, like for instance, I'm an empath, so sometimes you can feel the pain of the suffering of someone else. But I think unless you've actually walked in the footsteps, it's almost just um, a, a foreshadowing of okay, you can try to empathize, but until you've actually walked that trail, it's just too tough to try to understand what a person lives with. You know, because you're talking a classic example of what day in and daylight every day. It's always something different, but yet you're still in the same room with the same capacities and the same uh, issues that you have to deal with, as am I, obviously. I just use different barricades to try to block out some of the more negative things. Um, Like, for instance, one of the things I just brought up being self-medication. Now, I I know that at one point in time that you – it's been stated that you have an addiction to opiates – I could probably ascertain why that is clearly, but to those that are listening in that don't understand that, tell us a bit about the path on how you ended up um, finding yourself in a capacity where unfortunately you're addicted to substances like that because that can be very deadly, as we all know. No, of course. I um, it, So it it's actually, <laughs> and, and, and funny is not probably the, the, the word that I'm, I should use, but it's actually... Sure comical on 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 how it all worked out because um because I've been racing for 26 years I've been racing a very very long time and mm-hmm. in my sport you break bones it's just what happens and so what happens right you break a bone they cast you they give you pills to make you feel better the pills yeah. make you feel better and then as time goes on, you realize that, wow, like the pills really made me feel better, not only with the pain, but it but it also made my mind feel better too. And mm-hmm. I, I need to research it a little bit more, and it's been always something that, that, I've, that I've always wondered. But, um, but I've, I've listened to friends tell me how, you know, if they take if they take an opiate, 
that it makes them sick, and they can't stand mm-hmm. it, and they itch, and they do, and like it's it's very very miserable for them, and their mindset's not quite right. The difference gotcha. is for me is when I would take them, everything was focused and everything was clear, and mm-hmm. you know I was I was never tired. It was I would take it because it was it was almost. It was almost like speed to me. Um, wow. It would, um, it, you know, I've, I've, I've dabbled here and there with the, with different types of drugs, and sure. you know, I, I, I did methamphetamine one time, one time and one time only, and it literally was the worst experience of my entire life, and it was because it was com- it was a complete reverse of what they said that it was supposed to do. And uh-huh. and so, and so when I would go back to an opiate, I would realize that the opiates would would do the effect that the speed was supposed to do. And it would make me feel better and it would help my it would help my my mental focus and it would help it would help my my attitude and it would bring more of a positive um, feeling in my body. Well, when that mm-hmm. happens, when that happens and it makes you feel good and it makes, like, it, and you think that it's making you a better person, what's, mm-hmm. what are what are people going to do? They're going to go with that. And so right. I really, I really do believe that, that the people that have the disorder, I really think that they self-medicate mostly on opiates because we're just wired just a little different and our brain treats an opiate in a way that really takes away kind of the internal pain. Not the external pain, but the internal pain of of, of depression. And so... For me, it got a little out of hand. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm not gonna lie. Um, right. I had a big crash in in 2000, um, broke a bunch of bones, and um, you know the, the the saying is, at least in my world, is um, injury turns into addiction, and and so I had I had a big crash, um, broke a bunch of bones. I was out for about four months, and I noticed that I would take more, and I would take more, and I would take more because the initial dose that I was taking wasn't working anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up getting to the point where now I was buying it on the street, and, you know, this is a... This, this is a guy that was running like I, w- I had 350 employees. I I was running a a fairly large company, and I shouldn't be doing this, right? Like I mean that's right. wrong. I, like I shouldn't be doing this, and so I had an opportunity um, to go to Alaska um, to do some filming because I, I you know I enjoy it, and it was. Um, something that I, I just kind of fell into. And so I had three weeks to prepare to go to Alaska. And we were mm. going to be out there for 40, we were going to be out there for 45 days. And so 
I wasn't worried about Alaska. I wasn't worried about bears. I wasn't worried about, like, you know, the plane ride out there. I wasn't worried about anything other than mm-hmm. how how am I going to get enough pills to last me for 45 days? That was my stress. And so I that was my focus. And I went and I got morphine patches. I got Oxycontin. I got Norco. I got like every single opiate you can think of. Um, mm-hmm. And I... You know, thank thank God, I've you know I've never done heroin, I've never been that down that road, um, right. mostly because it, it, the the common sense to me says that once you go down that road, there is no really coming back, and so, right. and so I spent all this time preparing for this trip because of the pills, and so I ended up getting. You know, I, I I got my stash. I have this huge stash of uh, of meds, and I remember my wife. She she drops me off at the airport, and I'm sad. You know, I give her a hug, and it's like, all right, honey, I'll be home soon. And mm-hmm. and you know, we kind of exchanged that, and I went down, and I I sat at my gate and waited for them to to make the call. So they make the first call, and I remember. It gave me like really bad anxiety. I'm like, oh no, like, do I need to do this? Is this something that I that I really want to do? Well, they gave mm-hmm. the second call of like planes boarding, and I really started doubting it. That you know, it's like, look, all you have to do is just turn around, call your wife, she'll come and pick you up, and then you know I can blame it on something like I don't feel well or something. Right. Well, they. They gave the third call, and I'm like, all right. I stood up. I went to the bathroom and sat there, and I, like, I can just imagine what people were thinking, right? Because there's this guy with a backpack on that's kind of burly staring at himself in the mirror. And, you know, my mind process was, are you sure? Like, is this... Mm-hmm. Is this really like? Is this really what you want to do? And um, I remember opening up the backpack and grabbing two of the strongest pain meds that I had, and I took them and I took a morphine patch and I stuck it on my arm and went into the nearest bathroom stall and dumped out every last pill that I had and flushed them down the toilet. And I walked straight out walked onto the plane, got onto the plane, and the plane took off. And by the time that I got to Anchorage, Alaska, things were starting to wear off. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And anxiety hit. And then, you know, we had another plane ride, you know, about 700 miles out in the middle of nowhere. And Mm -hmm. by the time we we landed, I was... The the medication was was gone was it was kind of out of my system, but I also didn't have mm-hmm. any, and so I went through withdrawals in the middle of Alaska, and talk talk about an experience. Oh my <laughs> god, was, I can imagine that 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 was an experience. 
And so by the time by the time the trip was done, I mean it took, you know, about a week and a half for it to, you know, kind of push through and you know, I blamed it on the flu and mm-hmm. you know, after that, you know, we hiked a lot and by the time that I got home, you know, forty five days later I was clean. And you know, I've been I've been clean ever since. You know, I mean when I break a bone you know, I'll take, you know, if if it's bad enough for its surgery, you know, they'll do the morphine mm-hmm. or, you know, those type of things. But but sure. when they ask, you know, what medication you want, I don't, like, I don't want any because I don't want to right. get back into that cycle. Of course, definitely. Now, if somebody happens to be listening right now and they're hearing this story in terms of the addiction part, what's one piece? that you want them to take away from listening to your story in terms of if they could get one step closer to getting clean, what would you tell them? What would your recommendation be? What would your suggestion be to them if they're struggling with something like this right now? Uh, my, a lot of the things that I, that, that I tell people and that's, it's, it, it's kind of hard for me um, to explain it right, I guess, because I know that if if they're going through bipolar um, issues and if they're having those issues, I I mm-hmm. promise you, I like uh, I understand why you take your pills. I understand mm-hmm. it because it, it because it makes you feel better. It makes you feel like you can function in life better. Um, right. But the biggest takeaway that I that I try to explain to people is that our mind is an interesting thing, right? So oh, yeah. we can take, as as humans, we have the ability to to take an, an imagination, to take something that's not real, write about it, and then have it become reality. And hmm. if we if we just if we can take that that concept and and put it into real life and say, hey, look, you know what? I'm not going to allow this little white pill to control my life. I'm not going that, to allow it. That's to me. That's kind of the takeaway. I know it's hard for people. I I've been down that road. I know it's hard for people, and I know. Every excuse in the book, I've heard them all, right. and I've said and I've said them all. But you just have to get to that point where you 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 just you, like you physically have to get to that point of saying, you know what, enough is enough. I can Correct. do this on my own. Whether I need to meditate, whether I need to find another avenue, but do not let. A little white pill control your life. That's exactly right. In fact, and reverting back to the other subject, because we had talked about this prior, of course, and, and fortunately, you are just damn lucky that that bullet didn't come out of the chamber and kill you. So again, same mantra here in terms of if somebody is at home and they're feeling dark and despair, especially because of the society we live in today. Good God, with everything that's going on in this world, God knows it is just so challenging to try to keep the chin up. So if somebody is at home and they're feeling desperate and they're feeling uh, dismal and they're feeling like they're at that point where darkness is all that they can see, 
Tell us one thing that kept you going and not going back to that dark place again. The biggest part, the number one, without a doubt, like there's no even question in my mind, is my family. It's it's my tribe, and I and I know that I've said that quite often. Um, of course, the the reason why like I the reason why I say my tribe is if you think about you know 150 years ago or 200 years ago, you lived in a small town where everybody mm-hmm. knew everybody, and that it was it was a tribe of people, and you relied on each other to have enough food for wintertime, where you relied on the doctor to make sure that he knew what he was doing. And so, and so, like, I look at it as having my own tribe, having my little group of people, which is very, very small for me, but to always realize and always understand that no matter what, there are people out there that care about me and there are there are people out there who love me even though it may feel like they don't because when we're in that place we feel like no one cares but i promise you people care and just finding one person if you can find two great if you can find five that's even better but it only takes one person. And when you're feeling like you're feeling and when you have that that despair and that cloud that just seems to just drift over you all the time, if you can find that one person to just talk to and with no judgment and explain to them, this is how I feel, this is what's going on, and this is what I feel like I'm about ready to do. Mm-hmm. That one, that one person, nine times out of ten, that one person will latch onto you, and they will make sure that you're okay. And they will suggest things, and they will say, "Let's go talk to someone else. Let's go talk to a doctor. Let's go talk to a therapist. Let's go talk to your mom. Let's go talk to your dad." they like they will they will become that one person that is the saving grace and as long as we understand and realize that there is always one person always it, like there's no one that I've ever met that has no one in their life that doesn't love them like it just right. it just it's not possible it's just not possible and so <laughs> I agree you find that person and and whether you know you don't you don't you don't need to come out and say hey look you know what you know so and so I'm thinking about killing myself tomorrow okay like we don't talk you know we don't say it like that but to be able to just say you know hey look I'm feeling like this like you know I I I don't understand these emotions I don't understand why I'm going through the things that I'm going through and having that person hear you and listen to you it like it 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 true it truly does help and then you know hopefully you know even if it's a guy like me where you know you can read a little bit about my book and read about 
some of the things that that I've gone through. I've had I've had hundreds of people, if not thousands of people, email me and say, "All right, well, this is how I feel," and and it's like there's a connection there. What you're telling right. me, and, and what I'm reading about what you went through is like reading about myself, and and so I'll. I won't give them advice on on the medical side of things, but I always go back to that find someone who cares about you. They will listen. I promise you they they will listen. And you know what yeah. whether I've saved whether I've saved lives or not, I mean that's you know, for me that's the ultimate goal. Um with the book, mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, I'm I'm not looking to make money on the book. I I I try, I'm, I I truly am not. You know, I give I give all the money that I make off the book to to just awareness, um, because at the end of the day, if I can save one life, if I can save that one person from pulling the trigger or taking the pills or driving off a cliff or whatever they were going to do, if I can save that one person, then honestly, my life is complete. I did my task. That's so wonderful. Actually, since you brought the book up, we should obviously speak about that clearly. Justin has penciled the book entitled Bulletproof, which is, of course, on the Amazon bestseller list, and I'm so damn jealous. I've done four books. I have yet to be on the bestseller list. So kudos to you, man. That's awesome, actually. (laughs) That's a huge accomplishment, and especially because, not because necessarily it's a bestseller, period, but the fact is when people talk about living these experiences, it's exceptionally moving in my opinion. And I'm not just saying that as a fellow patient. I legitimately believe that the more that people talk and communicate their concerns or communicate some of their um, choices that they've made as a result of the things that they live with, that's inspiring. I mean, of course people would love to read about that. So talk a bit about the process in terms of putting a book together. You know, my last book took nine months. I think people, you know, get excited and they say, oh, I want to do a book, and they and they think about the glamour and the glitz that comes along with, yes, I'm a book author. But talk a bit about the reality of your book journey, meaning um, this is your first book, correct? So I assume you've not done this before, and you are um, you haven't been a professional author your whole life. So what was that experience like to, to put all of those, to be so naked, I guess, in front of the public on paper? Yeah, I honestly... <laughs> Honestly, the book wasn't meant for anybody but my kids. I wanted oh. I wanted to write I wanted to write my life story so that I could have a printed copy that I could hand to my kids as they got older and they could read about their dad. That's it. I didn't the thought of of writing a book and publishing a book like that that was the farthest thing from my mind. I mean, I like honestly, I I barely graduated high school. I'm not an educated man, and and so for me to write a book myself um, was a very very daunting task, and it took me a very long time. And so I, and so you know, through that process, every time that I would get my laptop out and start writing, it was. I had to keep reminding myself, this is for my children. This isn't for anybody else. This is for my children. Mm-hmm. And and so I I get 
I get done and you know, it was two hundred and something pages and and you know, it took me I don't know, six years probably. And when I when it was done, I, I wanted someone to proofread it, right? <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to look like a like a goofball, and so so I had someone proofread it, and mm-hmm. you know correct some of the some of the grammatical you know problems and you know just the typical stuff that that you would do, and that person she handed it back to me, and basically said, "Oh my God, like this was probably one of the most intense and." motivational books I've ever read in my life. Which, you know, on an ego stand, that made me feel pretty good. Like I'm like, ah, oh, right, that's that's, that's cool. Like like like, you know, maybe I did something good, right? And so uh-huh. she so she went over the process and said, Look, this is what this is what you should probably do. Um mm-hmm. you don't need to use me. You can use someone else. You know, she wasn't trying to sell me anything. She just right. made it. A, she made it a very clear point of saying, "What you have right here, you need to share with more than just your children, because it's going to affect lives more than you'll ever even imagine." And so, I went through the process of sending it to two or three different editors, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to someone who who has has written like several books that was a New York Times bestseller author and had her go over it and she explained explained a little bit to me on how how books work and how they how you need to have certain flow and it needs to it needs to flow right so people understand what you're trying to say. And so she helped right. me out with that for for a couple months and ended up finishing it. And um, I remember her handing me the final copy and her telling me, this right here is going to change the world. This is going to change everything when it comes to mental health. And that was... That was a big moment for me because sure. that wasn't the intention. I didn't mm-hmm. have any motive. I didn't have any motive behind it. That wasn't that wasn't the purpose for it. And so, you know, I I put a little bit of money into it. Um I had I had quite a few offers from publishing companies um that said, "Hey, look, you know, like we'll we'll take it like we'll take this." And, you know, we'll give you a big fat paycheck and you'll get royalties and you'll do all this, like, we'll make this thing massive. And I told every single one of them no. And I I was called a couple names here that I probably shouldn't say, but, but a lot (laughs) of them were, a lot of them were, were based on you're a complete idiot. Like you have something that's really good, and you are you are saying no to an opportunity that not very many people get. And I tried to explain to them that I'm not doing it for the fame. I'm not doing it for 
the New York Times bestseller list. That that oh, means boy. nothing to me. I'm doing okay. it to re to reach people. And and so I researched a lot on how to self publish and and I that's what I did. And I and I did a full self published book myself and within um with you know a lot of with a lot of help from like my PR team and and right. and and the people that that know um you know we hit we hit the bestseller list within 2 months of the book being released and that just that just kind of reiterated to me that all right maybe I did maybe I do have a story that people need to hear and you know since then i've been i've probably have been on over a hundred podcasts and radio shows i've been on fifty or sixty t v shows i've been on you know i've had i've had fame that goes along with that but sure. it's like it it the fame doesn't affect who i am i'm still just right. me i'm not I'm not any different than I was yesterday. I'm just, I'm still the normal goofy kid from Utah. So. <laughs> I love it. But if, That's really cool. But if I can, yeah, but if I, but if I can help, um, if I can help people, if I can get in front of people, um, I've had, you know, some really good opportunities of where I've been able to stand in front of, you know, thousands of people and talk about my stories. And it's, it's very interesting because of just kind of how I've got everything lined out. Um, mm-hmm. it, because I typically don't go into speaking engagements with a plan. I don't like. I don't. Ah. I just. I just. I just let it happen. However, it's going to happen. And and it's it's interesting. And it's there's kind of a sense of satisfaction of where you can give the end user kind of a ride of what it's like to to live with it. So, you know, I start with a happy story where they laugh. And then I go to a sad story of, you know, when when I tried to, to shoot myself. And then I go to another funny story and then I go to a sad story and kind of go and kind of play off of that. And then, you know, one of my last comments at the end of it is... You know, I want like I want them to to like pay attention to this ride that we went on. We were happy for a moment, we were sad for a moment. We were happy for a moment, sad for a moment. And then to let them know that that is what a day is like for me. Hmm. That's a, that's what a day is like for you. That's what a day is like for someone who suffers from this type of stuff. And sure. People get it. People understand it. Well, and one, the other thing that I want to ask you about, and just so you know, folks, some of the highlights I can tell you, I know that you've been featured with San Diego Living, the Huffington Post, which is way cool, KUTV, KTNV, among a slew of other personal appearances that you've done. One of the things that I've talked about a lot, and I'd like to get your feedback on this, because I myself 
have written before, et cetera, et cetera. And I am convinced, although I haven't done enough medical research, although there's a lot out there that I do know, um, I clearly believe as being a bipolar individual, it took me a long time actually because I used to believe all the time that if I wasn't a bipolar person, I wouldn't be nearly as articulate and creative. So I always used to say, well, I do so well with this or I write so well because of this. If I didn't have this, and it took me a long time to be able to distinguish the talent, of course, from the, the tyranny, as I call it, of being bipolar. So I'm curious mm-hmm. to ask you the same question, meaning do you firmly believe that there is a definitive connection between being bipolar and creativity? Because I am convinced uh, that most of us bipolars are creative. So you do. Okay, absolutely. so you see it the way I see it. Uh, yeah, uh, okay. Absolutely. Once. Thousand and fifty percent. If there was even a percent that that, that that's that high, creativity and a mental disorder go hand in hand. Like it's Amen. like people don't believe me. People are like, yeah, like whatever, because I'm not. Like I don't feel like I'm a creative person. But when okay. I'm on a manic phase, when I'm manic, when I'm when mm-hmm. my mind is re- is really really going, I can create some pretty cool things, and I can do some really cool things. And so, I look at you know Einstein and like all of these amazing minds that we've been blessed with throughout history, and I can almost guarantee, I don't know for a fact, but I can almost guarantee that that every single person had some form of a mental disorder or what or what we would call a mental disorder. Um it, because it's it's just it it's hard for me to believe that that without the disorder normal day-to-day life uh, I'm not making much sense there. It makes sense to me perfectly. I, I kind of brain, follow you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Trust me, I do. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, you know, I they they talk about the spectrum, right? And they talk about, mm-hmm. you know, autism, and they talk about about all these things. And, and it's, you know, how can you take... One of the one of the documentaries because I really love documentaries and I like to I like to watch like the really good feel good like documentaries about people who sure. who started with nothing and have had have who have had good success. And one of the one of the ones that I watched a couple years ago that that's really stuck with me was there was this this kid that you know was like fifteen sixteen years old and was severe had severe autism so he couldn't speak he couldn't see he he couldn't communicate he couldn't like do any of that stuff any of the stuff that that, that we take for granted yet the one thing that that kid could do is if you put him in front of a piano and you played Mozart or you played Bach something that the kids never heard before ever you played that to him one time he could get on the piano and play it perfect wow and it is like it was the most 
amazing thing that I've ever watched because sure. it, it just proved to me that the mind is very, very powerful and mm-hmm. we're blessed with certain things, you know, whether you call it talent or whatever, but we're blessed with with certain things but it also comes as a comes from a price too. Um, it's the balance of things. So sure. you know, we may be we may be really good at something, but we're really horrible at something else. And it's just it's just a way of of balancing things out. In my opinion, yeah. bipolar people, we we have a mental illness, right? We have mm-hmm. we have something that that is that is a little off the wall yeah and 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 people don't really understand it however we also have been able to tap into certain parts of our brain that other people can't and creativity is definitely hands down one of them that's what I thought. That's exactly what I thought. Thank you. So since I, I have you listening, I thought we would go through the little bipolar shack, as, as I call it, which is I'm going to tell you everything that's happened to me, and we'll see if you've experienced this or not. Because when I talk about, like, when when World Mental Health Awareness Day comes or when World Bipolar Day comes, we talk about this even more so. Um, so, for instance, let's see. Have you been called crazy before? I can't even tell you how. That's my trigger word, crazy. You're crazy. You need to get on your medication. Why aren't you taking medication? It's because you didn't take enough medication. Does that happen to you? Because I'm sure it does. Yeah. The crazy one. Yeah. Cra- I love that. Yeah, cra- crazy. Yeah, cra- yeah, crazy to me, though, is might be just a little different because I'm the type of guy that can go basically crash a race car, roll it nine times, have concussions and bruised kidneys and a ruptured spleen and then immediately like within 20 minutes get my helmet back on and go race again so yeah crazy lack of common sense no assessment of risk yes like like I get that so yes I've been called crazy almost almost every day of my life and we both obviously have lost people to this because I've, of course, lost uh, friends over this. I've had people walk away from me because of this. It's been very hard to maintain yep. relationships, personal relationships. Um, I yep. also assume that you have been given the tag because there are people that like to identify you as, oh, they have a mental health issue. You know, they don't want to say bipolar or they don't want to say, you know, certain things, like, for instance, because people, just so you folks know that are listening, of course, bipolar typically – I hear it most often referred to as a mood disorder. And and to some degree, it is a mood disorder, obviously. My mood will fluctuate left, right, and sideways. So I find that most people say, oh, she's just on another mood swing, just like that. Oh, she's just on another mood swing. And when she goes back the other way, she'll be fine. Like, tomorrow, I'll just be cured, and it'll all be better. Like, it'll all just get better, you know, one of those things. So we both have lost relationships due to this. The name calling, the, oh, here's a good one, too. I've also noticed that most people will usually blame my behavior, meaning if I have some, I used to have a lot of rage attacks or anger attacks, which I assume you have. I've also had a lot of panic attacks as well. And so when these things mm-hmm. ha- happen, 
most people will just assume, well, her, she just has a terrible temper. That's exactly what it is. They don't equate it to having, you know, this being a manifestation of my disorder. They just automatically assume, well, she's just pissed off and bent out of shape all the time because she has a bad temper. So I think there's a misnomer about what classifies as bipolar and what classifies as me just being a normal person being pissed. Do you follow me? Because I think it's possible. Yeah, I think well, we can just be like a regular person and just get mad because we're mad and that's that. Yeah, well, it 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 comes back to that ignorance when <laughs> Thank when, you. when people don't when 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 people don't know it's the ignorance of people when you're in a relationship or you have the the people that are close to you. Yeah, they can say that. Yeah, she's just she's just going through one of her mood swings. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. well, you know what? You're basically telling me that you don't care about who I am. And right. So, which is fine. Like, like, live your life. I'm not going to judge you on your life, and I'm just doing the best that I can that, that that I can do as a human being. And so, you can call it me throwing a temper tantrum. Temper tantrum. You can call it. Yeah. Yeah, you can call it whatever you want to call it. Me, myself, I know what it is. And when when someone tells me, all right, you're just, you're throwing a fit, okay, that actually triggers it in me of saying, all right, someone's noticing that I'm acting a little bit more different than right. what I have before. And so even though they mean it in a certain way, I've learned how to take it and take it with a grain of salt because they don't understand. But I also have learned to take it in a way of, okay, that's kind of a call sign for me. Gotcha. Maybe I need to change something else up a, a, a little bit. Because, I mean, let's face it. Everybody on this planet, we all have issues. We all have, we right. all have certain things that that, that we deal with. Um, the, the the saying goes that that if you take you know five people and you put them in a room and they all have the opportunity to take all of their problems and all of their issues and put them in a big pile, and then you get to choose which issues you get back. We always end mm-hmm. up with our own. We don't ever we don't ever pick anybody else's issues, and so right. whatever issue that person's going through, you know that's that's kind of why you know I like I really try not to judge, and I really you know I do my best in in being sincere and being compassionate to other people because at the end of the day I don't know what they're going through, I really don't. Maybe, maybe they are having, maybe, maybe they do have schizophrenia or or post traumatic stress or depression mm-hmm. or, may, or maybe they're having that and this is just how they manifest it. Sure, I understand. The other big symptom I get a lot, and this seems to be the one that I've had the worst time with, and I notice a lot of fellow bipolar seem to have the same thing. It's not only self-acceptance, but more self-loathing. Um, there's a lot of self-hatred that goes on, and, and that's been an ongoing thing. And I've noticed that a lot of fellow individuals that I meet have that. So I was just curious to ask you if you went through a time in your life where it's just difficult for you to look in the mirror, have some self-acceptance of who you really are as a person. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
I think, I don't know, I think human nature kind of puts us that way anyway, whether whether you have right. a, a disorder or not, right? Um, right, you know, I agree. Sometimes, some, sometimes we have a hard time looking ourselves in the mirror. And, mm-hmm. and you know, whether it's it's guilt for, you know, swearing at someone or flipping someone off because they cut you off or... <laughs> Or right. you know, or, or or something stupid, you know, whatever whatever guilt that you have. Um, for me, a lot of you know, a lot of the times, you know, when I have a hard time, you know, looking at myself in the mirror, um, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of based on I don't know what I'm looking at. I don't like what what side am I looking at? What personality am I looking at? And so. Sure. You know, I mean, there's. Am I am I hiding my bipolar from myself? You know, mm-hmm. there's because I can hide it from everybody, but am I am I hiding mm-hmm. it from myself? Do I do I feel guilt from hiding it from myself? And so, gotcha. you know, the the self loathing and the self um, the self hatred, it there for a lot of years even before you know i i realized you know kind of what it was um it that one stung a little bit and that and that was hard for me and i think that that was you know a lot of the reason why i went down some of the paths that i went down um was Mm -hmm. because i just i i doubted myself i didn't believe in myself and and i didn't like i wanted to believe in myself i wanted to be confident but I just wasn't, mm-hmm. and it like it takes it takes habit. It takes trying to get yourself out of that mode and keep telling yourself, "Look, you're a good person, no matter what. You're a compassionate right. person. You're a loving person. You're a humble person." And the more that you tell yourself that, the more that your brain realizes that that is fact. That's not fiction. Amen to that one, definitely. Boy, do we sound awfully similar. Now, I don't want to forget to mention, of course, about this. This Obviously, we've been talking about you being a professional race driver. But you also, and I'm assuming, I wrote this obviously a while back, so I just want to confirm and make sure you're still the owner of um, Gear 49 and Race Pro Technologies because, of course, we want to talk about that because I assume that status has not changed, correct? Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm okay. I'm, I'm still the owner of of my race team, race team, which is um, the Race Pro Technologies. So you know I, we've got nine race cars, and and you know then you know we're very fortunate to be able to go out and race. And you know I sure. you know, I, I sponsor a, I sponsor a couple kids, and I've got you know my nice. my twelve year old he races, and so so we've got that, and then um, and then yes, Gear Forty Nine. Is is another one, and that was kind of more based on on the nutritional side of things, because nutrition and mental health go hand in hand. Um, oh, amen. Being able to be able to eat clean, to be able to eat the right things, um, can really really affect mood. And so, you know, I I I did create a supplement line that was based on on um, just eating healthy. And for sure. me, it I realized that it that it helped a lot with my focus. Um, so while I'm on track, while I'm racing, um, I have more of the focus. I have more of the energy. So 
so yeah, I'm yeah, I'm still doing I'm still playing that game. Of course you are. That's so cool. Now if somebody listen in today and they say to themselves, I want to meet that Justin guy, do you have anything public appearance wise coming up or somewhere that you'll be where folks can come and meet you? You know, I I'm I'm not quite sure what what my PR team has scheduled for me. They kinda do all oh. the scheduling. Um if it, it, honestly, if if you were to leave it up to me, nothing would ever get done. Uh-huh. I, it, you know, I'm 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 too scatterbrained. I, it, you know, I'm either with my family or with you know driving a race sure. car. So, um, sure. but I do know I do know that we have some stuff in LA that's coming up. Um, you know, we've got um, you know, all we have the SBs this year. Um, uh-huh. and then, you know, it. At the end of the day, like if if I can get a group of you know twenty or thirty people and and just find a fun little place to go, like like not a bar by no means, but but you know like like a little conference area or or you know something like that. Like I'll fly anywhere. I'll do. Um, oh, cool. I'll go and I'll and I'll sit and I'll just and, and I'll and I'll talk to people because being able to get the word out, it's not it's not predicated on how much money I can make by speaking, right? It's 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 all based on being able to talk to people and to be able to change lives. And so, you know, with me, public appearances, I'll do them all the time. You know, I, sure. I I have a hard I have a hard time doing one on one type stuff because then that kind of turns into a therapy session, and then the liability <laughs> for me gets a little gotcha. crazy. And because here again, I'm not a doctor. I've said that right. so many times, and I have to keep saying that because I like sure. I I don't want to get myself in trouble and have someone hurt themselves because I said something. Of course not. I totally agree. I do. Okay, here's what we're going to do, young man. Oh, my God, can you believe how fast this time went? We've been talking for over an hour yeah. and a half. People are yeah, like, see, hopefully awesome. it wasn't a board to Because <laughs> most of the time yeah. they come on my show and they're like, oh, my God, I didn't even know it was on that long. Well, that's either a testament to me and I asked the right questions or you're just a good interviewer, either or, whichever oh, way it worked out okay, yeah. I think, I hope. Now, yeah. I'm going to read these off, and you're going to tell me once I get done if I missed anything. For those of you that are listening in, I'm going to tell you the various ways to find this young man, Justin, and the last name is spelled Peck, P-E-C-K. He can be found in the following places. Um, his actual website is justinpeck.com. He also has gear49.com as well as racepro.com. He is also on YouTube, Amazon. On Facebook, it's justinpeck49. His Twitter handle is also the same, at justinpeck49, as well as his Instagram also. Is there any other place that folks can find you outside of, of course, Amazon to buy the book. Anything else that I might have missed? No, I actually think that you nailed it just perfect. <laughs> I sure hope so. That's my job. And I've had a while to be able to wait until I got to talk to you, so I'm like, that's great. So before I end my show, we always do two things. First of all, I surprise my guests because I can, and it's my show, so I have a surprise for you. 
Um, <laughs> and then second of all, I'll, I get to tell you what I think of you because I, this is the, the last part actually is the only part that's not scripted. I write everything because I've been a writer forever. And so I always write my shows up. And the last part is just me getting to tell you what I think of you, period, just because I think it's important to share with the audience. I mean, I can look up anything about you or research you, but that doesn't tell anyone what I really think. So the surprises, first of all, what you may not know before you called into me, in fact, I'm almost certain that you didn't know this, is my career has branched out. I started as a writer, then I became a journalist, then I became a radio show host, and then I became a teacher, and then I became a film judge, and it's led to all sorts of things. And so I have written four films. And I am about to, because I've been kicked in the ass. Yes, we can say ass on that show. Oh, I think we've been swearing. It's my show, so I don't really censor it. Um, (laughs) I have for a very long time kicked my heels to do any of my movies. I wrote these beautiful movies, and then I keep saying I'm going to do them. And then I just did a film. I literally just did a film festival last week in New York City, and it was exhausting. And I'm actually sick. But one of the things that I took away from that festival was I need to kick myself in the pants and I need to get going. So I was looking at all of my films today, and the one that I've decided to start filming first, ironically, is a documentary on bipolar patients. I am participating in it. I have other candidates that are participating in it. So I thought to myself, who better to ask than the man of the hour himself and ask if he wants to contribute in some way to this film? Absolutely. Absolutely, Is I will. That okay? I will do. Yeah, I yeah, I will do. I will do anything that Aww. you need me to do. I will fly anywhere. I will. Oh, like, if, if if we need to help fund a little bit, I can do that. Like I. Oh my gosh! Like, like so I sweet. like. I want that. Like that's one of the things that has been a big bucket list for me is I want the documentary and I want a good documentary of where it really where really like explains what we deal with and what we do every single day. So yes, hands down. Oh, that's so awesome. Oh my God. He actually said, yes, I wasn't sure you were going to, you know, cause I've had this idea written for almost a year and a half and, and it died. I mean, I'm one category, and obviously the other people in my film, you actually will see different people in the film. Like you'll see one that's been on medication for a long time and it's not working. You'll see someone like me, of course, well, it is me, actually, that's been on and off with therapy and meds and the various ways I cope with things. We have one that's had shock therapy and hospitalization and things like that. I'm trying to cover every gamut, every type of bipolar from all different places, plus we have excerpts from other bipolars. In addition, we have mental health professionals. We're going to the jail. We're going to talk to people who have been in prison because of their actions by mm-hmm. being bipolar. We're going to go to the cemetery because the reality is I've lost friends because sometimes the voices in the head, they win. And and I don't think yep. people really get that that could be your end reality. And then we're going to talk to people who have used alcohol, drugs, things along those lines. So we're going to cover every gamut that there is, and we are going to make sure that bipolar has a name, not just because Catherine Zeta-Jones says so. And I don't dislike her, but I don't like the fact that celebrities come out and they say, oh, I've come out with the fact that I'm bipolar. Because you know what? You've been bipolar for a while now. And you coming out isn't really anything. Some of us just live with it when we don't have a title, you know. So this is very yep. important to me. This is my labor of love. So I'm so thrilled that you just said that. So that was number one. Number two, just on a side note, because I'm sick and ill and I've taken medicine, it's probably the only time that I'll have enough courage to say, God, I can't believe you're single because you're really cute. I just had to be professional, <laughs> but I just did it, and I'm going to like, yeah. I'm going to pretend no. like I didn't just say that to 63,000 people. That was really awkward. 
So there's that. I'm just, um, a, so that's... I'm, I'm just a goofy Utah boy. <laughs> I know, but you're so cute. Have you looked at you? You're an attractive guy. Well, okay, it would be weird for you to say, yes, I've looked at myself. But, no, I'm looking at you, and you're, and you're cute. So there's that. Third of all, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, we can do this next year, is I'm putting out a calendar this year, and, and I've pushed back my other calendar. But if you wish to be included, next year's calendar that I'm putting out is a combination of book reviews I've done. Um, we've got celebrity authors in there. We've got reality TV stars. We've got indie filmmakers in there. So if you'd like, I, I do film review and book review. So if you want to be included in next year's calendar, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about doing a review, putting you in there as well, because that, of course, is another way to raise awareness. So if you're interested in that, do that too. So there's that. So that reaches us to the very big finale here. Um, so here it goes. I'm going to tell you what I think of you. And then you're finally off the hook after almost two hours. And I'm so sorry, but I couldn't help myself. You're a very engaging. Um, yeah. First of all, before I forget, and before I say what I need to say, a huge thank you to Stacy um, for arranging this interview. I, I uh, you know, we've yes. tried this a couple of different times, and then you were ill, and then I thought to myself, maybe I should just give up. And she's like, no, 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 we want to do this. And I'm very grateful that we did do this. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to give you the opportunity to participate with any of this. So I'm very grateful that that happened. I'm very grateful that you're healthy now. Well, kind of, sort of. Meaning last time you were in the hospital, this time you're not, so that's a good thing. So, Stacy, wherever you are in PR land, I cannot thank you enough for this. He was as wonderful and as engaging, as intelligent and entertaining as you said he was going to be. So thank you so very much for that. Um, so these are my impressions of this young man. Um, I had heard a lot of hype and a lot of talk, and I would seen a lot of pictures and done a lot of research. Um, you are very much the poster boy of someone that I would have never guessed to have a mental health issue. And why? Because you are very good at hiding. In fact, sadly, most of us have become very good at hiding. Um, when I started to research and then I spoke to some people who had interactions with you before or had met you before or had read your book, I, I said, tell me about this guy. Tell me what you think you've learned. And hands down, the three things that were used to describe you, or I should say three adjectives used to describe you, were humble, honest, and raw. All three of those qualities seem to be very true in the course of an almost two-hour conversation with you. I think one of the most important things that I'll ever say to you, um, besides the fact that you're cute, and anyone can say that, what you probably don't hear very often is from a fellow patient who would say the following to you, but you probably don't need me to tell you, but I'm going to reinforce it anyways. The golden rule for most of us bipolars is you wake up every morning, and I'm going to remind you of this, so that when you hang up the phone, hopefully today and tomorrow you'll remember this, that you are that wonderful, that you are that worthy, that you are that smart, you are that skilled, and you are that special. Not because you're bipolar, but because of the fact that you live with this, and you smile every day, and you succeed every day, and you live every day. You've done a remarkable job with spreading the word about an illness that seems invisible in our society. I would hope, with any luck at all, I get to stand in a room with you just to shake your hand and to thank you what you're doing for all of us, including myself, yourself, everybody out there who seems to have no name, no face, and no identity because we're all looked at by one thing. So I want you to know it's been a thrill to have you on the show. I'm very proud. I'm very, very happy that you've lived and survived and sustained. I think you're incredible. Feel free to come back to the show anytime. You're going to have to get a hold of me or tell me how to get a hold of you because, of course, this documentary is starting in two months. So <laughs> there's not a lot of time. <laughs> so we'll have to kind of find ways to get a hold of each other. But I'm just I'm so elated that you came on. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me. And feel free to, to reach out to me anytime. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Thank you for the kind Yay. words. And it, like, it, like it, like it, it, 
it truly brings up emotion because it it's just it's it's nice to it's nice to be told that you're a good human and and so so thank so thank you very very much and if you're there's anything that I can do at any time I promise like I I will be the first guy at your door I promise you're so sweet. Thank you so much. I'll be in touch. I'll send my contact information. We'll get a hold of each other. We can get all of this different stuff set up. I think it, I think that we could really do a lot to improve and impact other people's lives. I really do. I believe in that yes. firmly. And thank you for all the time. And I'll send you over the link, the YouTube link, Blog Talk Radio links. So you can go ahead and post them. And I look forward to meeting you. And enjoy the rest of your night now that I've taken up most of it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. Anytime, my dear. I'll talk to you soon. And you have a good night. All right, you too. All right, bye-bye. Tell me that he was not phenomenal, right? I'm so excited about this. I think, I, I truly do believe that we can make a sizable and a substantial impact. Again, one more time, his name is Justin Peck. He can be found at websites justinpeck.com, gear49.com, raceprotect.com. He is on YouTube. His book can be purchased on Amazon, and again, the name is Bulletproof. And on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, same handle as at JustinPeck49. Huge thanks to Justin one more time for coming on the show today. Again, I I didn't think it was going to be two hours long. I wish I could say that I felt bad about that, but I surely don't because he was a phenomenal guest. Again, huge thanks to Stacey Barker. Stacey is with JadeUmbrella.com. If you have any PR needs, please feel free to look her up. And again, reminder to everybody, tomorrow's guest at 3.30 Central Central Standard Time is Dr. Alvarez. We're going to be talking cosmetic surgery and dentistry. Looking forward to talking to you guys. I'm going to go back, lay down, and die on my couch. We'll talk to you guys soon. Have a good night.